Ola, Dilhut, bonjour, and welcome to RT Radio 1 Study Hub, the companion show for Leaving Cert students. And on this episode five, we're going to crank up the calculators and delve into maths paper two, both at higher and ordinary levels. And then we're going to go back in time to discuss the history paper. A history paper we get to think about maybe events like this. Good evening from Castle Buildings at Stormont outside Belfast on the day of a truly momentous agreement, promising a fundamental change in the political relationship between North and South and between Britain and Ireland. An agreement that unites Loyalist and Republican, Unionist and Nationalist, finally emerged after two years of talks and decades of violence and bloodshed. Brian Dobson there, he kind of makes everything sound momentous and epic and historic. But will students be studying something like the Good Friday Agreement there in years to come? But along with maths and history, we'll also be talking Spanish. And to get us into that zone, we turn to the movies and check out films such as Argentina 1985, nominated for this year's Oscars. Now, this was an enemy to our own and Colleen Kuhn for Best International Feature Film, but enough said about that. Back to the movie, where in this story, the plot centres on a team of lawyers who are battling the forces of the Argentinian military dictator. Here's a clip. La historia no le sirve a un tipo como yo. Entonces, ¿qué hacemos? Hay que armar un equipo cuanto antes. Tenemos cinco meses para presentar prueba irrefutable contra nueve comandantes. A mí me torturaron, a mí me secuestraron. Vamos a darles a los militares lo que ellos no les dieron a sus víctimas. Un juicio justo. ¿Usted cree que va a ganar ese juicio? ¿Usted cree que las juntas hicieron lo correcto? ¿Es cierto que recibieron amenazas? Yo prefiero no darle mucha trascendencia a eso. Acá se trata de lo que el país necesita. Respeto y justicia. Esta es nuestra oportunidad. Quizás sea la última. from that movie Argentina 1985 looks absolutely great and you get to study it you know you're studying while you're watching it I mean it's perfect but back to maths and Gene Kelly's favourite topic I feel the music moving through every part of me I see the beauty blooming out of every passing beat I'm flying straight towards the light and there's no stopping me I live my life inside impossible geometry I found a place where my playlist is play a rhapsody where my heartbeat and the bass can weave a tapestry Ah, we're going to make geometry possible for you on this show, but that's the stupendium there featuring Chi Chi with Impossible Geometry. A good opening tune for our guests today as we welcome Joe McCormack, maths teacher and author of Ace Maths Tuition Books. And we'll be talking in a few minutes to Jean Kelly, our old pal from the Institute of Education. She will talk about the ordinary level paper. But Joe, you're up first. You're very welcome to the study hub. Thanks, Evelyn. Now, the same question for you that we start with everybody, really. We know that we're gliding back, or are we, to pre-COVID papers in terms of students looking at the higher level paper this year what do they need to be aware of that might be different from last year's paper talk us through all that yeah well the marks available per paper evelyn is 300 so the total uh, marks for both papers are 600 there and the students have to do uh, five out of six short questions and the short questions are worth 30 marks each and that makes up 150 marks and then they have to do two out of three sorry three out of four long questions three out of four and they're worth 50 marks each and that's 150 marks so um they have a bit more choice than, than last year, but um, 
little bit of a concession, but not quite pre-COVID. Yeah, a bit but, choice, yes, but it worked yeah. to do there. Listen, yeah. the thing that I really wanted to talk to you about was we know that the higher level maths paper too is a lot of talk on it, a lot of focus on it. But you feel there that there's a really a certain way to write and approach this paper. And you've lots of interesting ideas on this, you know, subbing the value, that kind of thing. Would you give me some of your top tips for the way that students can prepare to write and approach this paper, Joe? Yeah, I suppose it's really important, Evelyn, to stick to the time budget plan for each question. And um, my advice here would be to, for the students to maybe spend eight to ten minutes um, at the start uh, choosing choosing their questions very carefully. And then um, after that, spending 13 minutes on each short question and 25 minutes on each long question. And that, that adds up to 150 minutes, which is the two and a half hours per paper. Yeah, but getting on with the actual paper itself then. You're saying, for example, you know, what's, know what's in your log tables, what's not in your log tables. If you cannot do part A and B, if a past exam question, don't give up. Talk us through that, those little approaches and tips that you have. Yeah, so um, I suppose um, it's, it's important to kind of have that, that little bit of knowledge going in that, that you know, that other students may not have. So um, some key points here that students may not be aware of is most of the time subbing in any value into the correct formula will give you the attempt mark, which is two out of five or four out of ten. Um, knowing what's in your log tables is really important and obviously what's not in your log tables as well. And um, I suppose not giving up if you can't do a part A or a part B and um, don't give up, you know, go to part C or part D and, and start fresh. And uh, I suppose be aware that the, some of the paper two material can appear on paper one, for example, financial maths or, or trigonometric functions um, little things like um, not to scribble out the information or tip exit out, just draw an X through it and make sure. Why are you saying that to me now? Is this about presentation that it's not to look like a big math, well, math pre- scribbly uh, mess? Pre- presention is very impor- important. You're right there. But um, if the students draw an X through um, a second method, it will be corrected and could be worth marks. OK. So that I think. That's so you're helping yourself by not using the tip X. Absolutely, yeah. Anyway, it's it's too messy. I mean, it, it, I I would advocate that Tipex mouse just just for maybe changing a number here and there. Okay. But um, definitely, uh, again, just draw an X with your ruler. Yeah. You know. Well, you see, we sometimes get teachers in, like we were discussing biology. You know, if you try that third question, you can be docked marks. So there's a sort of an interesting thing for students about how much information that they show or they don't. What you're saying is a big fat X through it means you're not offering it up as an answer, but the work is there. The work is there and will be corrected, as you know, everything on the paper has to be corrected. That's just the way things work now. So um, it's kind of a free shot in many ways, you know. Excellent. Love it. OK, well, then the other thing you um, mention and mutter about is the word predictions, which is one of our favourite words on Study Hub. Have you any sense of what students could maybe think about? I mean, I'm not nailing your name to the this or anything, but, you know, we do like a little hint or two. Um, I suppose um, in the area of geometry and trigonometry um, to start with, uh, I suppose overall it's, it's difficult to predict what can come up on higher level maths paper. Uh, but if we look specifically in each section, um, there's definitely core areas where the students uh, need to have, have gone over. In geometry, for example, they need to be familiar with similar triangles. Um, I always say to my students, control the controllables. So they need to you know, learn their constructions, their proofs and their theorems. And the best way to learn them is to keep writing them out, in my opinion, or pin them to the wall or and just keep repeating the process as such. Um, in trigonometry, then 3D shapes are quite popular. Um, with Pythagoras' theorem and the sine and the cosine rule. And then uh, periodic functions is definitely one to, to keep an eye on and trigonometric equations. And uh, obviously you have the, the trigonometric proofs in there as well. So, so that's geometry and trigonometry anyway. Um, when you say keep an eye on, that's your posh way of saying pot- potential prediction without saying it, is that it? Um, well, there's a, yeah, I suppose <laughs> there's, a, there's a proof on every paper. So um, 
Definitely uh, for students that are worried, um, they would need to know all their proofs and that, that just takes that worry out of it and one less thing to worry about. Now, OK, I know that there's a linkage between coordinate geometry of the line and the circle. We hear about that a lot, a popular se- subject or part of it. Is this significant? Yes. Yeah, so Evelyn, they, they're, they're linked very closely through the slope, the midpoint and the distance. And um, there's important formulas to learn here, as always, they're in the log tables on page 18 and page 19. So you have three big formulas there um, that have a great chance of coming up, in my opinion, at least go on, one. Go on, go on, we love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the perpendicular distance between a point and a line is is, is um, c- common enough. The dividing a line in a given ratio and then finding the angle between two lines using the tan formula. And as I say, all three are in your, your log table. So you just need to be able to practice them as opposed to learn them off by heart. Um, <clears throat> slopes is always very popular at both junior and, and leaving cert level mm-hmm. and um, basic skills I suppose for the circle then if, if we're just moving on to the, that side of things is to be able to find the centre and the radius of the circle but I would say one thing here that um, the students need to be familiar with the line if they're going on to learn the circle so you can't really uh, study the circle without knowing the line well on statistics, you know, what content they really know, need to know about this area? Yeah, so students need to be under, be able to understand um, Z-scores to, for the normal curve. Um, the empirical rule can also appear. Um, there's a big section there on inferential statistics. So um, students need to know how to do a 95% confident interval for two areas, the population proportion and the population mean. So there's two formulas there and they need to know the difference between them. And uh, hypothesis testing is obviously always on the table there as well. So I suppose um, statistics is more about um, understanding than actually being able to kind of rattle it off like a robot as such, you know. Why? Sometimes people just think if they learn it off, that's enough. But what you're saying is you're going to have to display and illustrate that you really understand it. Yeah, and this is where students get thrown because <clears throat> they get a question they haven't seen before or a diagram or something across the paper and yeah. then they just can't deal with it. So um, this goes back to what I always say as well. You know, you can't practice enough past exam questions. Right. Now, the other thing I want to ask you about is um, the strategy you have for choosing your questions because I liked this one. Talk to me about that when you're sitting there in the exam hall and it's all in front of you. Yeah, I suppose for the eight to ten minutes that I would recommend at the start, um, uh, my my philosophy is to put one tick beside the part of the question if you think you can attempt it. Okay. And then put two ticks beside the part if you're very confident you can do it well. Right. So okay. then go back, go back through each question, add up your ticks. It's kind of a logical way of choosing um, your questions and whichever questions have the most ticks then <clears throat> will be the ones that um, you'll, you'll, you'll lean towards um, and impart, very important to choose your questions correctly. But um, as I always say, it goes back to time as well. So um, sure. Um, and you have that specific advice. So I believe you've changed your mind over the last few years that you don't recommend, for example, extra questions. Because sometimes people say, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Um, Talk me through your big change there, Joe, that big moment for you. Um, yeah, I think that um, time is, is such a big issue now. And um, it's important to, 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 to pick your questions correctly and stick to your guns and just go with it. And um, another thing that, that I've just that, that comes to me kind of recently is that you know, if you're at the end of a question and you're trying to get it out, but the time is up, you need to move on. Okay. And um, I would my I would advocate to, to start your short question first. Do a short question just to settle the nerves. Mm-hmm. 
and then alternate between a long and short question after that until they're all done and stick to the time again 30 minutes for short and 25 year longs they get bogged down though <coughs> don't they and they're determined to kind of ring it out to the end and you're saying look be yeah. brutal move on <coughs> yeah exactly because usually the last part you know can be tends to be worth five marks could be worth ten the students won't know but at the same time okay. you may be able to pick up a five or a ten mark you know in a different area instead of trying to flog out the last part of the question you know flogging the questions listen Joe thank you so much for joining us that's Joe McCormick there eight uh, maths tuition now we want to come back to ordinary level maths for this paper too we have the lovely Jean Kelly from the institute back again to look at this paper too Jean two and a half hour exam a number of choices within it and I know what you're going to say to me is that I won't even ask you the question of what topics can we leave out because you're going to tell me they're all they're all mixed in but what topics really should people prioritise looking at paper two for ordinary level uh, if it was me I'd be prioritising area and volume Mm-hmm. trigonometry statistics and probability because they're the ones that come up as the long questions and of course you can get them in short questions as well um, the line and the circle usually come up as short questions and they're there every single year I feel you I've had questions. many conversations about the line and the yeah, circle yeah coordinate geometry and plus the line then you can use in other parts of the paper especially paper one because it links in lovely with functions and graphs and differentiation even with the circle you could be asked to get the equation of a tangent to a circle or even on paper one you can be asked to get the equation of a tangent to a curve Okay. so it's using the, the formula for the equation of a line and it's used everywhere so yeah I'd, I'd stick with coordinate geometry of the line big time now, last year's opening level maths exam, we know that, you know, there were choices all over the place. There's a little bit of a change for paper two this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly less choice. What should students be aware of? Like, what will they see on the paper then this year uh, in terms of the structure? So there's two sections, section A and section B. They're both worth 150 marks. And they're, in my opinion, you probably should spend the same amount of time on them. So split your time in half. OK. Um, there's six short questions on section A. You have to do five of them. Last year, you have to do four. Mm-hmm. And then there's four sh- uh, long questions in section B and you have to do three of them. Last year to do two. So there's slightly less of a choice. But I don't know if the choice is helping them. Just like what Joe said, like I don't know if having the choice is really helping them. I think they still try- should really try and get through the lot of it anyway. I think they'll have plenty of time to do it. You don't think they're going to be under pressure for time? Paper two, you'd have more time pressure than paper one. Because okay. there's a lot of formula, there's a lot of reading, there's a lot of text to get through a lot of words in the question um, and they take a little bit longer whereas with paper one it's a, it's a bit shorter Some, sometimes you see uh, students kind of walking out after about an hour an hour and a half of paper one whereas they're right in there until the very end of paper two so it's a longer paper it Working takes longer hard. to answer the questions yeah now we know of course the idea is that the approach is that they're kind of practical scenarios right they're like mini mini essays in some <laughs> cases and they're being given that real world life problem sort of to solve mm-hmm. so talk us through the language around that and how they can penetrate it to make sure that they still give a maths answer as opposed to an English in paper in fairness answer. to them they did say that they were going to present the questions with less words okay and less reading and um, probably you see even that less as a material. You I do. That. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the English is lacking a lot of time to convert it into maths. Yeah. Um, like that problem solving thing, the word problems, it still gets our students even 10 years on. Really? It really gets them. Yeah. I mean, like I do the whole course before I even start talking and thinking about word problems. OK. Because you kind of have to have every topic covered to be able to put some kind of words in a question in t- into an equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do mix the topics quite a lot. So... It's kind of hard just to zone in on one topic in one question when they've got three or four topics in the one question. Like you could have area and volume coming up with trigonometry, coming up with geometry, coming up with the circle. And that's just one question. Um, Now, 
they're less worthy, wordy, but at the same time, there's a lot in them. Um, what, what advice would I give them? Literally, just do exam papers. At this late stage, there's no point in going through books and notes. Just keep doing your exam questions. And the long questions, like we're having that conversation, but this stuff like, you know, girl called growing on one side of the bank and wants to get across the other yes, side and all that. Yeah. How can students really decode those questions? Like, what is the guide around um, Well, the good news is they normally give you a little diagram. I don't know what it's like in the honours. I haven't looked at the honours paper in a while, but uh, at ordinary level, they give you a photograph. Okay. So you'll see Grania in her kayak and a photograph in the river. And then they'll put it into a mathematical diagram. So you'll see the little triangle. You'll see her on one side of the riverbank. You'll see the other riverbank. Like you'll be able to decipher from the diagram more so than... I'm I'm more of a visual learner myself. So I prefer to have the diagrams in front of me and to actually have something that's tangible to see more so than kind of you know, a lot of text and words yeah. that, that confuses me. So I'm, I'm more of a numbers, number cruncher person. I really don't like those word problems at all. So really rely on the on the visual aid they're yeah, giving it. Then. Exactly. That's the yeah. kind of reminds me of the technical question in Bake Off, you know, where they're given the really technical recipe to kind of follow. And they're like, try and get it done in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, talking about study plans, and I know you've got yeah. very stern advice for students around this. You're I saying, do. look, 12 we weeks to go. Back, so, yes, <laughs> I've been hammering on You're about cracking it. Cracking the whip. Um, so there's 12 weeks. And there's the guts of about seven topics on each paper. So I'm looking at 14 topics. So if you've got 14 topics and you've got 12 weeks to do it, maybe double up, maybe in the first week, maybe do algebra with complex numbers on paper one. And when you say and do, are you now saying out with those past papers? Literally and just keep doing every them? single day. And you, can you go back? Like questions. how far back can you go? I mean, obviously you can pre-COVID. Go right back if you want. Like there's archives that go into the 1920s, but... You can, Steady I think, <laughs> just stick with the Project Maths papers, like go back as far as maybe 2010. OK. But you have enough time to do that. If you do a topic a week or maybe two topics in the first two weeks, like you could study the line and circle together. Mm-hmm. You could study geometry and trigonometry together. You could study statistics and probability together. But my students like to do them topic by topic. So if you do a topic a week, you'll get it all done. And you, all you have to do is two exam paper questions every single day. That's 14 questions a week. Sure, you'd get through the whole lot of the papers in that in that time. And they're also, you know, even though the format is different, that, you know, they, they are useful in terms of that. But you're saying, I think now that, you know, you've, you loved paper one, for example, last year. Mm. You liked how they're setting it, that they're short, they're snappy, they're busy papers. Very precise now and less words. It just makes it easier. Like it's more along the lines of the short questions. Even the long questions are. Okay. They're like state this, find this, show this, prove this, verify this. And it's more or less the same techniques that you're using as well, like subbing in a value, like what Joe was saying, into an equation. Even if you know that you've got the wrong answer for part A, just sub in any number. Even if it's the wrong number, sub it into part B. Like if in doubt, sub in. If in doubt, plot a point, sketch a graph, draw a diagram, do something. Don't leave it blank. If you leave it blank, you're getting nothing. Absolutely nothing. If you're not in, you can't win, yeah, etc. Exactly. Et Jean, thank you so much. I'm going to throw this at both of you, actually. I mean, that is the worst fear for a student is that they find out they gave the wrong answer in the end. Joe, reassure students that it's not all about that magic final answer. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because I'm just looking at I'm looking at marking schemes a lot at the moment. And um, what I'm seeing is that students can get seven or eight out of ten and still get the final answer wrong. Really? That, that is actually going to be a shock to many students. But yeah. You know, that should really encourage them. But what, the work they've done on the way to that, albeit incorrect answer in the end, has value? Yeah, because if you 10 marker, you have 3, 5, 8 and 10 probably. That's the way they'll mark it. So okay. you get 3 for, you know, for your, your low partial credit for just an attempt and then 5 and 8. And then really it's only 2 or 3 marks at the end for that final, final answer. 
So like, you know, um, it's all about the method, Evelyn. Yeah, Jean, you're nodding there. You agree? Absolutely. Process, not product. Literally. Let's get elected on a <laughs> Listen, thank you so much, Jean Kelly from the Institute of Education. Let me take this chance to remind you all that if you've missed out on previous episodes of Study Hub, they are all available to download now. And if you go to RT Learn, they are coming down with useful information, notes, videos, content that will help with all your studies. Now, moving on to history. And as we know, so often in news reports, we hear this phrase that current events are being described breathlessly as historical occasions. Well, over the last few years, with everything from COVID to the Russian invasion of the Ukraine to the uh, celebrations around the Good Friday Agreement to the death of Britain's longest reigning monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, last year. We think these might just find a place for real on the history courses of the future. But let's remind ourselves of just one of those events. This is BBC News from London. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. In a statement, the palace said the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral, this afternoon. The King and the Queen Consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow. BBC Television is broadcasting this special programme reporting the death of Her Majesty the Queen. The sombre tone of Hugh Edwards there it really does like sound like something from the archives. It's extraordinary. We are delighted to be joined by an old friend of the programme, Sean Delap. Pre-vid of Cloche is gone now, but a well-renowned, I think it's fair to say, history teacher from over the years. Sean, you're very welcome into the study hub again. Let me start that with you as well, that question of the differences from last year, the kind of COVID era history paper yeah. and this year. What do students, students need to watch out for? Well, there's one extra question this year. Last year, they, they cut a question out. Um, and we've almost gone back, I suppose, to pre-COVID times, uh, except that they've a little bit more choice this year. Which so is welcome, I presume. It is welcome. History I was mean, always a battle against the clock. Yeah, and there could be two different approaches. to it. They have to do their document study and then they have three essays to do, which they would have to do before COVID times. But they can, previous to this, they would have had to do an essay from three different sections, one from each mm-hmm. different section. This time around, they can double up if they want. So they could pick one of the sections if it, if it fell nicely for them and they could do two questions there. Uh, and that means you could, leave a, you could leave a section out. So I suppose it depends on, on how far you're on with your study. You know, um, I would tend to say that you should probably cover every section and leave yourself more choice on the day and double up if you have to, if the, if the questions are nice. Okay. Um, the difficulty if you leave one section out is if the other topics aren't <laughs> falling, falling as you like it, yeah. you may you may find yourself stuck. A topic you like, so. but the twist or the question with, with they're asking question, can yeah. throw you, you can't you, it? You're far better off to go for the straightforward questions and not to try anything too smart on the day. You know? <laughs> not, not too much dazzle there on the day. Well, then talk us through then the timings because it is it is a busy writing paper. Yeah, it is. So you, you've got your, your, your document study, which should take about um, really 45 minutes. There's different sections in that. So it's a stop-start one. Mm-hmm. So that will take a little bit longer and your essays really should be done in around 35, 38 uh, to 38 minutes uh, or so, your, 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 your three uh, your three essays and you know just keep an eye on your time as you're, as you're working through it, there's no point in getting a very very high mark uh, in, in one question and leaving another out but what I would say is always leave a bit of space at the end of the exam. Do you mean physical space on physical the Physical space because the, the questions, um, the essay questions, you get 40 for your ability to analyse it, but you get 60 for relevant information. Okay. And that's cumulative. So, you know, the more you write, 
there's a tendency. So like the maths get, paper, right? Just get, keep you, writing. Yeah, yeah. Keep, keep keep writing. And as I would say, you know, if you if you five minutes, if you find yourself at five minutes at the end, go over and uh, even if you've done your conclusion, just write extra point and add in a little bit extra because as Joe said, there they'll mark everything. And even if you've stuck an X through it, uh, they will still mark it. They, to, they will mark every single paper, even if you've taken out an extra script. They will have to tick every single page to make sure there's nothing there that you could possibly get get an additional mark on. But how does that work? Say, for example, you say X, Y, Z was born in whatever and died in whatever, right? And you, yeah. you get the years of the rain yeah. incorrect, right? And you put a big X through it and you go again. And it turns out actually you were correct the first yeah, time. They will, like, they, that's they, the stuff students are obsessed with. Yeah, <laughs> they will correct that. But I would say, you know, when you're doing your essays, you should take a, a three-step approach to them. Okay. Uh, and the first thing that I would say when you look at your, your, your essays, check the dates. And not every question will have a date written but there could be a date implied. For instance, there was one a number of years ago that asked you about, um, you know, how effective was Mussolini as a leader of Italy? Now, an awful lot of people that year wrote on his rise to power, but the question was leader. Yes. And he became a leader in 22. And you could argue, but they, you know, he was... 22 he was, wasn't written down No, in front 22, of them, right? and it could be argued 43, and he may have held on a little bit in the Salo Republic till 45. So they're really your dates. And anything that you write prior to that date out of 60, you can get a maximum of 12 for relevant background information, but that's it. You know, so you could write a, you could write three quarters of your essay maybe on his rise to power and all you're going to get is 12 marks. Are you that. serious? Yeah, Even so you've got to watch packed. the date. Yeah, okay. and you've also got to watch um, then the parts. If it's a two-part question, you know, if you could get a question on um, how effective was De Valera uh, in relation to the economy and foreign policy. Okay, how so do you, you uncode have, you have that? Two, you have two parts there. Now, the beauty on this, an awful lot of people think you've got to do it half and half and you don't actually. What you've got to do is address both parts of the question somewhere. Okay. And wow. as long as so, so if you're very strong and say it's foreign policy, work away in it. But just make sure you can get something in, in the economy before you wrap it up. I would have thought you'd have to go 50-50. No, you don't. No, and, and, and that's the great thing about it. You know, and, and if you're running a little bit out of time. So don't be put off with, with, with certain questions as long as you can answer both parts. Third thing you need to look out for are the keywords. Uh, and keyword could, they're not in every essay, but it could suggest really where you're going with this essay. For instance, impact. What was the impact of someone's? That's what comes after. You know, it could be the rise. So just look out for the key words uh, and that'll guide you really where you should be going. So with impact this essay. of somebody is not he was born in and no, his no. mother actually And you're really looking, you're, you know, you're making an assessment on their policy and, and uh, you know, what, you know, you know, you could have a question on what was the impact of the 1916 rising. Uh, so that's really the, your impact of the 1916 rising would be things like the rise of Sinn Féin, uh, you know, the terrible beauty that was born, this, this type of thing, rather than a blow by blow account of what happened. And how am I structuring that rising. essay, right? Because people just go in and they just write down everything yeah. they know. Okay? What I would say is if you've got a key word in, in, in an essay like that, underline it. Give it and like just for example. For that, and just say the impact of the 1916 rising. Okay. Right? So the tendency is just to throw the kitchen sink at yeah. it. Everything but, I know about Yeah, it. but if you look at that question and you underline impact, just stop for a split second. I know everyone's saying, God, what's he saying? Stop. This is like a, a race against time. Stop for a split second and ask yourself, Am I still on course here? Am I writing about the impact or am I just writing an account on the 1916 rising? And, you know, if you, if you, you know, other questions could be strengths and weaknesses. Yep. So am I about to write about a strength or a weakness or neither? And if it's neither, leave it out. You, know? so you have to be that strategic. You have to be, yeah. Really, if you're question. looking for really the, the high marks, the, yep. the H1 students and the H2 students, they will hit it on the head. 
all all day long. You know, and they will they will see, uh, you know, they, they, they will work out very very quickly what's required in this question. So if it is strengths and weaknesses, that's what they're looking at. And all you got to do is uh, show an example of a strength, show an example of a weakness. You don't need to balance them up. Um, you know, if if it's God, you're blowing my mind here. You know, <laughs> and and. Um, just add in a bit of detail on it. Add in, add you know, add okay, the meat so to I the bones. Okay, so I haven't finished my essay, but I need to walk away and move on to my next essay. Yeah. I've left my space, right? And I certainly remember that Hitler was born, whatever, or, you know, some fact. But I literally just go back and write it down. Like, you could, yeah, if it's relevant, you know. Uh, panic the one thing I would say, Do you see, the one thing on the essay you've got to be a little bit careful on uh, if you're throwing the kitchen sink at it is that 40 to, 40% of the marks are for your ability to analyse. So... If you're going off, if so you're a wandering, list of facts is you not could lose no, you could lose marks there because if you're wandering in and out of the question, yes, that's where on the marks for sixty, you know, you're just not going to get marked on it. Okay, you're, you're eating into your time there, um, but your forty percent, you could lose marks if you're wandering in and out of the question. You know, if you're writing maybe about the impact sometime, and then you're just given what I would call a running commentary <laughs> on what happened. You know, you're, you're you're slipping in and out of it. So just take that little tip. Stop for a split second. Look at the question again and ask yourself: Am I still on song here, or am I wandering? Um, you know, and it's uh, the other thing I would say to, to, to you know, for students that are preparing it, you've got a research topic that's pre-submitted. It'll have to be submitted by the 21st of April. And that's 20 percent of the marks. If you it's just get it. extraordinary. If you get it done, if, it is. Yeah. And if you get it done to a, to, a, to a good level and just keep bringing it back to your teacher till they tell you, you know, you've got that up to a very, very, a very, very high level. And most students get a very high mark on it and they're going to get somewhere between 19 and 20 percent on it. That's fantastic. You know, walking into the exam in June, you've got the guts of 20 percent in the back pocket already. It'll cover up any little mistakes you do on the day. It'll stop you. Really, if you have any type of a go at it at all, it will stop you failing history at leave insert. Finally, then, in terms of your analysis piece, right, how much is kind of, you know, your opinion? Because we all have opinions, right? Or is it a more clinical approach? Yeah, well, your opinion needs to be backed up by fact. You know, you just can't. That old, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that just, old nightmare. You, you just can't go off on, on, Darn. and say this is this is my opinion on, on, on this mm. without being able to uh, without being able to back it up. You know, but they they have a document study in there as well, and sixty percent of the marks in the document study uh, is you're looking at them. Okay, they can be taken from the document, and they can only be on three different documents. There from the Northern Ireland, it's it's uh, on the Northern Ireland topic this year. Okay. Wow, lot to digest there, as they say, or drill down, or some posh phrase like that, uh, as they say. But thank you so much, Camille Margot, Sean de Lappinchin, uh, Larton Fuin Courses. There, the history paper. There, we're moving on. Now we're joined on the line by Katie Lennon, and Katie uh, teaches at the Dublin Academy. She's joining us to talk about the Spanish exam. Katie, are you there? Hello, Evelyn. How are you? I'm great. Listen, I know that you're on Insta. You're like a, a proper young person. Uh, you've got a great account there called Ms. Len Lang, M-S-L-E-H-N-L-A-N-G. And I encourage students to go check that out. But let's just chat on the radio for the moment here. Look, we've a lot to talk yep. about because there's so many parts to this Spanish exam. You've got the oral, the oral and the written. Um, just talk to us a little bit again. Same question for you in terms of last year to this year. What should students be thinking about and watching out that's different from last year, Katie? I think the biggest piece of advice I could give to students right now is to really keep their head down and start getting organised because their oral exams are starting in 18 days, which they're all petrified of. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you put it like that, yeah. I know, from the 1st to the 6th of April. Um, so they have a little bit to prep on that. And at this stage, I'd be recommending that they are focusing more on revising their answers as opposed to trying to prep a lot of 
new stuff. And then moving into the final exam in June, um, there's a few changes from last year, and then they're also going to have their oral component at the end of their exam as well. So um, we have a few little bits to kind of talk about, I guess. Okay. well, look, I suppose the big thing, just doing one more question with you on the oral, you know, the role plays there. One of the things that students are terrified about is kind of saying the wrong thing or making a mistake or an error, not understanding a question. What's your advice around that when students are walking in the door? Um, Okay, so usually um, when the examiners kind of begin the oral exam, they want to kind of gauge a student's level. So they're not really going to start off with anything majorly abstract or complex. Um, So they want to kind of keep you calm and put you into the right headspace as you begin the exam. The beginning of your exam is going to be your general conversation and that's that's worth 70 marks. And then towards the end of the oral exam, you have your role play. Um, And this is just a public service announcement to all of the six years listening you have to learn only three of the five role plays and it can be any three of the role plays um, of your choice it doesn't necessarily have to be the same as everyone else in your class and the examiner will pick one of those three at the end of your oral exam and that will make up the remaining 30 marks great so now i've done brilliantly in my oral and i'm now getting ready for the written exam ahead what are the things that i need to be aware of and practicing i mean i listen i appreciate the preparation for the oral feeds in of course into the written exam yeah but you know things like verb tenses those kind of areas that you know the grammar piece people can be quite anxious about yeah so i think again a lot of students are just more focused on learning verb endings and um, my first piece of advice would be when you are revising any tense that you also make sure that you know what it equates to in english because in the way that you're going to have to use it in the written exam in like a dialogue construction or a diary entry you're given the guidelines in english so you have to know kind of nearly how to translate from from english back into spanish so there's no point learning a verb tense without knowing what it is in english as well um, in terms of key verb tenses that I would recommend focusing on for the last push of sixth year, it would be the preterite, the imperfect, the present tense, the present continuous tense, um, the near future and the conditional. And for those of them that are looking to get maybe H1, H2, you're also going to have to have some sort of understanding of the subjunctive mood in grammar as well. Now, the marking scheme, we've already discussed it with some of your teaching colleagues here. That's something, you know, it's a real aid for people to have that clearly in their head, isn't it? You know, and it's not a secret. Like They can get the marking scheme beforehand and have a think. Talk us through that, what they should plan with their Spanish. Yeah, exactly. So I think, um, and I was the same when I was a student, I kind of really didn't know that the marking scheme was even something I, I was allowed to look at. Like, I, I thought know. it was nearly, you um, know, I thought I was cheating. Kind of. the I was adults, like, oh, I've yeah. So look, put it this way. So the school that I'm working in, we've um, an app called Krizam and I speak to the students in that about the marking scheme from an examiner's point of view, but also from a student's point of view. I think my biggest piece of advice would be when you're looking at a marking scheme, they can be very alien sounding, like they have lots of really scary words and stuff in it. So my advice would be to go um, like that, go onto an app or look up certain stuff or bring it to your teacher and say, listen, I don't really know what these words mean in English. Like if this says, you know, communicative intention fulfilled, what does that mean I actually have to do in my answer so that the students actually kind of set a goal for themselves as to what what they should be doing mm-hmm. um, and like again ask your teacher to correct your work or look for marking scenes and stuff online so that you're not just doing um, opinion pieces or translation work for no reason that you're ultimately always knowing what feedback to take on board as you move forward through the rest of six years as well and it's the opinion pieces they find that daunting don't they What? why is it so daunting <laughs> for them I mean it's you know, I'm we know it's there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, again, it's 
there's an awful lot of subjectivity when it comes to the opinion piece. I think a lot of teachers, myself included, like things done a certain way. Um, my advice to students, kind of as someone who did the Leaving Cert Spanish exam and who's now teaching it, um, is to stop overcomplicating things that you should just try and learn off like maybe a solid introduction and a solid conclusion and you understand how to mold it to that specific question. But like what you were saying there about history, about like recognizing keywords and stuff, that you, what you want to avoid is seeing, let's say for argument's sake, the word health in a question okay. and then just write a generic piece about health. Like you have to actually look at the other keywords in the question and figure out, okay, is this about mental health? Is this about physical health? Is this about young people's health? Um, so on and so forth and that if it, if the question is quite niche that your answer needs to be equally as niche um, so that you're not losing marks for content because you have to maintain a high level of, of relevance to the question the whole way throughout your answer. And look, you know, I think your advice is maybe they take sort of 30 minutes for the opinion pieces. Yeah, so that's what I would say to my sixth year is that um, when you're in an exam situation, you don't want to go in and just kind of word vomit all over a piece of paper, like random words that you've remembered. So you want to go in and give yourself about five minutes to plan your opinion piece, 20 minutes to write it at like a comfortable pace that you're not rushing, and then five minutes to proofread it, make sure that your accents are in the right places, that um, your upside down question marks are in the right places, that kind of thing, that you've labeled your question clearly for the examiner. We know what question you've chosen. Um, all that kind of stuff. So five minutes to plan, 20 minutes to write it and five minutes to proofread. And I know that your big piece of advice finally then is about the owl <laughs> that uh, people have to be where it's on after I, the written. Yeah. Um, so off the top of my head, I think the written paper is ending at 12 o'clock and there's a 10 minute break before the owl exam. Um, so guys, please don't go home <laughs> after your written paper. Don't leg it out, especially if you finish the exam early. Um, go and get a chicken fillet roll or whatever if whatever you have time for but make sure that you are back in the building 10 minutes after the end of the written exam to sit your hour exam because it's also worth 20% of your grade at higher level and the best way to prepare for the hour I presume is you know you can watch movies <laughs> yeah exactly like there's huge amounts of like I've found amazing podcasts and like even like going onto YouTube and watching like a vlog in Spanish or something um, which is also hugely beneficial for the oral component too um, but also there's websites that you can access like the transcripts for the exams on so that if you really struggle with the hour exam you can also read what the examiner is, re- is reading out so that you can pick up what pieces of vocab you're struggling with or you keep getting wrong the other thing i would say as well the only guaranteed section on the hour exam every year is the weather so if you when you were getting ready for school in the morning listened to the weather forecast in spanish for the sake of two minutes every day um, you're guaranteed that you're more than likely going to you know, pull so many more marks in that question than you may have previously without doing that prep. Yeah, the only problem listening to the Spanish weather forecast is it makes you depressed about the Irish weather forecast. <laughs> yeah. But I take your point. Yeah. Listen, thank you so much, Katie Lennon there from the Dublin Academy of Third Advice there. And if people want to get more information from you, they can check out your videos and your Insta, Ms. Blent Lang. Um, now, that is our lot for this episode of Study Hub. Do go back and check out episodes one to four. We'll have another new episode for you next week where we will be ploughing through uh, Gaelga Popper, though higher and ordinary levels, business and home economics. So busy show next week. But until then, Sloan, au revoir and goodbye.